We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Podcast does something crazy and gets actual expert to discuss actual topic. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. That's right. We're not going to do that thing where we just waffle on about a topic we don't know about and pretend like we do and speak with authority. We're going to actually speak to someone who is the voice of authority. We're going to speak to someone from TIFO Football. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but we are going to talk about a series of videos they've been doing, Sensible Transfers, and get this, we're going to focus on the ones for Arsenal, uh, although Arsenal do not seem too intent on making Sensible Transfers. Just want to give you a heads up, we're going to do a full podcast after the Bayern Munich game, so right around Thursday night, Friday morning, you'll see a podcast that covers that game. Obviously, we will discuss the uh, We Care Do You statement and Josh Kroenke's response to that, some other bits and bobs going on around the club, so uh, don't want you to think that we're not getting to that, but had the chance to speak Uh, about transfers and didn't want to pass that up. And then the conversation went on quite a while and it was really interesting. So I'm glad we're getting to put it out as its own podcast. So now I'm going to introduce Alex. Alex is with TIFO Football. You can follow them uh, on Twitter at TIFO Football underscore Alex. Hello. Hello. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. So for people who aren't familiar, maybe you could just quickly give us an intro to TIFO Football and the sensible transfers videos you've been putting together, which are, to put it mildly, brilliant. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> that, that's very kind. Um, yeah, so TIFO Football, we, we run a YouTube channel um, and a podcast. We talk about football. We try and talk about it in a, well, I suppose an intelligent, informed way. Um, we, we, you know, it's not it's not gossip-based. It's not click-baity. Um, 
I think we we understand and appreciate that there are lots of people out there who like to to kind of get into the the nitty gritty of football, whether that's transfers, whether that's tactics, whether that's the politics and the economics that surround it, and that's that's who we're trying to talk to and and cater for. And, and the sensible transfer series uh, was the idea of Joe, who's our creative director. Um, and the writing duties are shared between me and a fantastic uh, uh, football writer called Blair Newman, who you can find on Twitter as well. And we're basically looking at clubs, where they're strong and where they're weak, and then suggesting who we think are sensible transfers. So we're not responding to rumour, we're not responding to um, things that are completely beyond the pale in terms of budget. We're not just looking to find the best right winger in the world. We're looking to to try and work which players would actually fit with a club, would address a club's weaknesses, would fit in with a club system, style, manager. Obviously, with some, that's pretty difficult because, you know, these things do change over the summer as well. Um, but the view is very much towards um, justified transfers, transfers that make sense rather than just uh, trying to stir the pot, which <laughs> which I think is, it's a temptation over this part of the year. Uh, the, uh, well, look, it, transfers that make sense would be a, a really nice change of pace at Arsenal. We could definitely go for that. So, you know, before we dive into the substance of what you've put in the video, which is excellent and identifies some really interesting targets, some of which, uh, some of whom will be familiar to people listening, some of whom may be new names uh, and ones that you definitely made me wish we were looking at but doesn't appear we are um in terms of just looking at arsenal as an outsider i presume you are not uh, an arsenal fan you don't have to say who you support but safe to say that you are not um uh, directly supporting arsenal that that is correct i i'm, I'm quite happy to declare that i'm a southampton fan oh. because we never really make videos about them because joe doesn't met louis to so. be fair though you've <laughs> so handed us you've handed yeah. us quite the embarrassing loss in recent seasons so i don't know if that makes it any better well, you know um, yeah. okay so uh, Probably As someone who not. watches from a little bit of a distance, I mean, we we analyze the squad building on the podcast, and we've been pretty critical of it. I mean, looking from the outside in, do you feel that the way Arsenal has built this squad is a head scratcher, to say the least? Yeah, um, I think I think there are three areas that that confuse me about it, and the first, I suppose, is a positive confusion in that your signings are not universally bad. Um, and I think Guendouzi and Torreira, for example, are both good players. Torreira is already a good player. I think Guendouzi is getting there and has a really high ceiling, probably a higher ceiling than Torreira, actually. Um, and it, it's not all, you know, it, it's not all nonsense. But then alongside that, you've got things like the free transfer of Lichsteiner. Um, that, that, to me, made very little sense. Socrates for the money. Uh, I think the word free is is operative there <laughs> well yeah but i mean you still gotta yeah. pay a guy a wage um i i, I think you know it's i mean this is one of the things with transfer you know that people talk about how well juventus have done by by getting ramsey and, and rabio on freeze but that's still 40 50 million pounds worth of wages that's that's not a free transfer um so yeah i think there's that i think I think the other area that's always confused me about Arsenal, particularly because it is a club that that appears to have a, a rich tradition of talent identification, particularly young talent identification, is when I'm doing my research for these videos, um, I'm pretty consistently butting up against players that used to be at Arsenal who are now doing really well somewhere else. 
Um, so Rain Adelaide is a good example. Serge Nabry is a good example. Ishmael Benacer or Benacer, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, is a good example. So there are there are other players who seem to have kind of slipped through the net at Arsenal. So that that to me is is also transfer business. And I know those are you know slightly older or that they, they, they've left in in the past couple of seasons rather than recent window. But it, it does to me speak to a club that that is sort of getting it right and sort of has a sense of where it's supposed to be going, but doesn't get it right often enough. What about um, Malin, Daniel Malin? He was just announced as he's going to be the number nine for PSV. Is that a player you've looked at? I mean, another one who I I thought was relatively highly regarded and we've let him slip through our fingers for virtually nothing. Yeah, I have to say I I don't I don't know much about him. Um it's uh it's 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 difficult to kind of keep track of, <laughs> of you know who's coming up from the Arsenal under 23s and then being released elsewhere. So he he's not somebody that that's um crossed my radar. But at the same time, you know, there is a there is a track record of of these players who have gone on to do well elsewhere and I think it's quite interesting because you I've looked at clubs like uh, Mainz over in Germany as a good example, or uh, Angers, Nîmes in, in Liga, or in Nîmes is now in Liga. These are clubs that scout really, really well, and they tend to scout in a particular geographical region. So Mainz looks a lot at League Two uh, in France, as do Angers, and you're almost um, you're almost getting those clubs to do your scouting for you, um, because if you're then buying a player who's come through the Mainz. Um, scouting setup you know they've been really thoroughly looked at you know that they're considered to have a high ceiling because these clubs are buying players to flip and sell after a couple of uh, a couple of good seasons and the Arsenal Academy is is another um, of these things where you can kind of be fairly sure that if a player is coming out of the Arsenal Academy then they do have a good ceiling they are worth getting hold of and you know obviously some of these players aren't going for massive money but if you look at someone like um, Serge Nabry, who you know was was let go for a relatively paltry sum, um, you know, particularly by today's standards, and and arguably was the catalyst for Bayern Munich's return to form in the second half of the season that finally saw them win the Bundesliga, then that's you know that's a club that's identifying that that players coming out of Arsenal at that age who maybe haven't made it at Arsenal are still very good players with a very high ceiling. Would it be fair to say though that clubs? are going to miss out on some of their academy prospects just because it's it's challenging to give the playing time necessary to all of these guys, and you can't necessarily keep track of all of them. I mean, right now, you look at Reese Nelson, Emil Smith-Rowe. I know Smith-Rowe features uh, in your Sensible Transfers video. Another one is Willick, who you, who you mentioned. Um, you know, obviously, Ganduzi is a young player we bought, but there are... You know, players coming through the academy now that are exciting. Uh, Bukayo Saka scored a goal against Rapids in the, the first preseason game. Do you look at the um, vein of talent coming through the Arsenal Academy Academy right now and see it as being a particularly rich vein, as they say? I think there's a lot of promise there. Um, I think um, Bielik, if that's how you pronounce it, is is another good one um, to look at. And, and I oh, think I'm what's glad interesting you, I'm glad is... you mentioned him because Emery apparently has no interest in him. He's the one that Emery is not interested in. <laughs> okay, well, I <laughs> I got I got nothing for that really. I'm afraid. Um, yeah, 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 same I, here. <laughs> it's um, I, I think I think there is I think there is a, a, a strong. Uh, tranche of talent. I, I do think that that is by and large centered around a certain kind of player profile. I mean, I, 
Willock, Maitland-Niles, Smith-Rowe, Reese nelson they're all sort of attacking midfield, wide or wide players. Um, and, and there aren't necessarily, you know, to me, there's not necessarily a great fullback that's coming through. But I think what Arsenal maybe having learned from from kind of a few previous errors is is to to have more of a pathway involving intelligent use of loans um i think it's interesting that that Bielik obviously went to uh he went to Walsall first then he went to Charlton um so the loans for him have been in the lower leagues in England whereas yeah Smith Rowe obviously that was disrupted by injury but also Reese Nelson they, they're over in Germany um I think that's a really sensible pathway and, and that indicates to me that maybe maybe Arsenal have learned from a few of these mistakes letting players go a little bit too young a little bit too early or maybe cashing in without being entirely certain of how they'd develop instead when you've got them under contract let them go and play football somewhere else I mean Nelson I had a look at his stats just before this um and he appeared in 22-23 Bundesliga games last season. He only played one, I think, full match. But he's getting time. He's he's coming on, and in terms of, of influence and the, the outcome of games, he did well. So you're not necessarily saying to him, you know, go to Hoffenheim, you'll start every week, it'll be brilliant, you'll come back, you'll be a first team straight away. But you are indicating to these players that you're thinking about their future, that you see their future ultimately being at Arsenal. But that's not a step necessarily that they're going to be able to make straight away. And this is a sensible pathway for them to accrue playing time, to accrue experience, to work particularly at Hoffenheim under Nagelsmann for a very intelligent, tactically astute coach who's also a great man-manager. And to come back having learned something which actually augments your proposition as a player rather than just kicking your heels in the under-23s, trying to make an impression, trying to catch the eye in training and see what happens. So hopefully, to me, that would indicate some kind of learning. But, you know, Arsenal, in my opinion, <clears throat> and it's always a balance, isn't it? Because, you know, clubs have expectations. Arsenal is a big club. It has big expectations. You want a degree of success. But they need to start trusting these younger players, in my opinion, because they are they are definitely showing, maybe not, you know, week in, week out, straight away starting games, but they they absolutely belong in and around this first team squad. And I think some of them can nail down starting positions. Yeah, well, and there's so many layers of, of important elements to this too. <clears throat> One is that if you don't give them playing time at all in the first team, you never enhance their value in the market, which means you're not able to generate some of the massive fees for them that are needed to refuel the squad, to, to turn over some of the, the aging players into new blood. And I think, obviously, it's been highly publicized that Arsenal have a net budget of £45 million this summer because you've taken heavy losses on transfers. Well, if you can't generate real transfer revenue from your academy because you haven't been giving those players time in the first team... That seems like a miss to me. You, you mentioned Nabry, but you know there there are other great examples of it. And uh, so for me, I, I think we need to find ways to get these guys into the team. I mean, you mentioned Bielik. Whatever fee we're going to command for him right now is going to be relatively small, whereas if we kept him around and used him in the Europa League group stage this season and maybe in a League Cup game or two, just by dint of being you know, adjacent to the Arsenal first team, I imagine we'd be able to get more out of him. But you, you've mentioned him as a player you like. He's he's a polarizing player in the sort of Arsenal zeitgeist, zeitgeist because 
Yeah, Emery doesn't seem to be too interested in, in him. He hasn't been brought on tour. Now, to be fair, he's just back from the under-21 tournament, so that's probably got a lot to do with it. But apparently, you know, he said he hasn't talked to the manager. There are rumors that he's not happy, and if he doesn't get first-team time this season, he wants to leave. Arsenal want to sign him to a new deal and potentially send him out on loan. You're high on the player. I mean, what about him do you see that you think could translate to Arsenal right now, given that he's been playing uh, two tiers down in League One? Yeah, he's not going to come in and start straight away. Um, <clears throat> I think. Do you do you see think, him as a central defender? I mean, is that, is that the position where you see him uh, making his own long term? I th- I think the honest answer to that is it depends on the style of play that Arsenal want to generate. And uh, you know, when we we look at the the sensible transfers videos, for example, we're always and this is always second guessing to a degree. But but you're you're trying to work out either the style that the the team and the manager are playing and ways to enhance that, or perhaps I think, and this to me is Arsenal's single greatest problem, is I don't think Emery... I think Emery has an idea of how he wants to attack, but I'm not entirely convinced he has an idea of the best means to get there. Um, And so in that sense, I think, you know, if you bottom out that you want to play a possession-based style, you want to build from the back, you want your centre-backs to be able to carry the ball forwards um, and then either launch it long into the the wide areas to create these overloads that he likes or or to progress it, you know, then vertically through the midfield. Yes, absolutely, that's where I would play him. I think if you... Maybe if you want to play a slightly more direct style, then actually having him sort of sweeping in front of a back four to to break up attacks and to be a little bit more progressive, but from the base of midfield rather than than from centre back and have your centre backs as much more defensively minded, that also makes sense. You know, he he looks like a versatile player. He looks like he's got enough about him to to be able to do that. And that's you know, it, there's there's a, a possible world in which in a year or two's time the the starting centre back partnership for Arsenal is him and Rob Holding in which case you've got two really good passes of the ball from whom you can construct attacks, you can carry the ball forwards, you can you can build from the back in a way that I think stylistically would, would quite suit Arsenal. Um, it's whether or not Emery wants to go that way and whether or not he's going to be around to make that happen in two years' time anyway. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's why it's so important that Edu is finally in place as the technical director, right? Because you need someone guiding the ship with a longer-term vision. And if Emery is not the guy to have the longer-term vision, and I'm fairly certain that's the case, uh, I don't think Rouse and Leahy should be that guy. So uh, Edu is it. And and hopefully, you know, that that starts to shape our transfer business, the development and promotion of our youth players. I know Raul and Vinay both spoke at length uh, in a recent interview this summer about the importance of the academy and the academy being the pipeline to the first team. Freddie Umberg promoted to uh, first-team assistant coach, so, you know, obviously after having been the coach of the academy. So maybe it all means a better, more intelligent integration of, of youth players and, uh, you know, a better vision for how they're going to fit into the squad. So before we get to the actual names that you mentioned on the, the video and why they're so enticing to you, I just have a really quick question that I'm curious to get sort of an outside perspective on. Arsenal spent a lot of money <clears throat> on two very good strikers. And I think most teams in any league would be thrilled to have a, a striker core like what Arsenal currently have with Aubameyang and Lacazette. But for you, do you feel that that was an inefficient use of resources? If you were at Arsenal, would you have looked to have done something a little different? Or do you think it's smart for a team to uh, maybe uh, 
wind up having that much of their, their transfer spend in an area that can have that much of an impact on your results? I think it's a really good question. Um, I suppose my answer would be that sometimes if players become available and they're players of that caliber, and you know, you'd look at Aubameyang's scoring record in the Bundesliga prior to the move, second only to Lewandowski, and in some instances, I think kind of minutes per goal even better. Um, sometimes you just have to move for those players because they're there. And it wasn't it wasn't a stupid transfer. I don't think either of those transfers were stupid at all. Um, I think the issue that you have, like you say, is it's not necessarily, or in fact, it's never just an absolute question. It's always a relative question. It's always relative to the overall amount of money there is to spend and the other areas of the squad where it needs to be spent. And I think in that sense, you know, that's why, for example, having someone like Edu there is is really important because before, before, in my opinion, one ever starts to look at who you should or shouldn't buy, the first thing you've got to do is have an overall strategy for the club. And that includes youth, that includes pathways to the first team, that includes a style of play, a manager who can do that. And that's why I think the manager increasingly sits outside of those conversations to a degree because you're you're hiring a you know, you're hiring effectively kind of like a day to day CEO who can implement a vision rather than come in and set one. Um and I think that that transfers have to work in concert with that. So yes, you've bought two very good players. They are excellent strikers Aubameyang can play out wide on the left if he has to um, I think that's a bit of a waste of him but you know that, that there's nothing inherently wrong with them but you are also looking at, at spending upwards of 50 million pounds twice when there were significant areas in that squad that needed to be strengthened instead um, so on balance, I probably would have spent some of that money elsewhere. But then actually the bad transfer in that, that window was Mkhitaryan anyway. So <laughs> that's, that's yeah, the money well, I would have spent somewhere else. Yeah, the original sin there, obviously not moving on Alexis in the summer and winding up in January with him in the last year of his contract. So, yeah. Right, and also the mm-hmm. and the, the Ozil contract as well. I mean, that's that's bound your hands in a way that just I really can't, you know, that, that, that that's when I was talking before about issues with the transfer thing, obviously the, the the signing of players who are already there to new deals is another area that Arsenal have got drastically wrong of late and, and that then ties your hands in other respects. Yeah, it, it is frustrating. And I mean, obviously it's left us in a position that we're all now very, very familiar with, but the way to dig out is just be smarter, be cleverer in the market, be more efficient. Um, and and use the limited resources we have more intelligently. Some of that is about selling, uh, which you can't help us with, unfortunately. But the buying is something that maybe you can help us with, and that is the focus of your Sensible Transfers video, which was uh, quite excellent, as I mentioned earlier. Let's go over some of the names. Um, I'm perfectly happy to let you sort of walk through them as you see fit. The only one I'd like to start with, if you don't mind, is Saliba, because he is the one of the group that you mentioned that Arsenal does appear to be signing. Um, It looks like we are going to sign him and loan him back. There are some people that are pretty unhappy with that because of how desperate we are at center back. So maybe you can give us your take on Saliba. You do mention in the video that he's probably not quite ready to be playing at Arsenal. So do you think that the signing and uh, loaning him back is a sensible move for this sensible transfer? It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because in a long-term vein, yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, he's got a really high ceiling, He's he's 
in terms of the particularly given his age he was one of the highest performing center backs in liga um and liga is, is a league with good defenders in it um and and plenty of kind of under the radar really good solid professionals there are a couple of particular young ones like Saliba also Jules Conde who I mentioned who was snapped up by Sevilla who's one of my favorite players currently I think in terms of of building a long-term future he's a great transfer I don't think there's any doubt about that at all um that's not what you need currently um and and that's you know in the video what I said was this is the kind of transfer that you make with an eye to the future, but alongside somebody else. And and that's even if you weren't loaning him back. Um, because I, I think a player like him, uh, as a, as a I, I would play him as a right-sided centre-back, um, he needs somebody alongside him who is, is experienced, who is, who's got some nous. You, you can't just build a defence you know straight away overnight and and it all clicks and 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 Arsenal have had problems with that in previous years as is well known you know Steve Bold coming back to to help train um so i think in in those terms you you're getting a very good player assuming that you don't get gazumped by those we shall not name because this is an Arsenal podcast thank um, you <laughs> but uh you're also you're addressing you're addressing tomorrow's weakness, but it's actually today's weakness as well, and that—that's my concern with it. Um, and it, you know, it's—it's it's a decent chunk of change as well. Um, even with the loaning back, it's still—it's still a fair degree of money, particularly as that—that that price is likely to have to go up, um, given that there's something of a bidding war around him now. Um, so, my attitude almost would be kind of walk the price up a little bit and then pull out because <laughs> I think that would be I think that would be sneaky and then spend the money on on somebody who you know is, is going to do a lot of those things like that, that there are there are quite a few promising young center backs out there it's not like he's the only person that you can get who's of a certain sort of profile who can play a certain way and has a certain ceiling so um I think if you're if you're being tied into a deal where the cost is escalating and you don't get him for a year and you actually need somebody now, then I, I become increasingly cold on the idea. So if you're speaking about players that we might want to turn our attention to, and by the way, that is going to be scary for some Arsenal fans, I think, because it looks like we are upping our bid. We are going to try to beat out Tottenham to the signing of Saliba. And maybe even potentially there were some rumors about by raising the price, we obviate the need to loan him back to get the deal done, which seems like you're only exacerbating the problem of spending more on the player than maybe you should have and then throwing yeah. him into the deep end before he's ready. Um, yeah. Com- and, and the more you... Inf- no, absolutely, I agree. And, and also, obviously, as you inflate the price, you attract attention. You know, there's there's a difference between picking up a, you know, oh, Arsenal have signed another promising French defender. That, that's not really a story. Arsenal have entered a bidding war with Spurs and it's all gone, you know, there's power bragging rights in North London and all of a sudden this guy who is 18 years old and, and should have been allowed to to develop under the radar to a degree and, you know, play 
the occasional Premier League game and cup games and, and, and become the defender that it looks very much like he's capable of becoming, suddenly he comes over with a lot of baggage because he's been subject to all of that speculation, that bidding war. It becomes an object of interest in a way that I think is not healthy for the player necessarily. Then once you've spent that kind of money, because if you're spending £30 million, that's £30 million of an overall £45 million budget, assuming you don't sell anyone, that you know that's a massive proportion of what you started off with in the first place there's a pressure on the manager to play him from day 1 surely because you know a you've bought the defender you've always needed and b you've spent two thirds of the money available on one guy so yes thank you very much we'll have him in the starting lineup and that i don't think is healthy either yeah you know you've really sort of focused my attention on something i wasn't thinking about because i think in my mind i'd kind of looked at this as if this is the player you've identified as someone you want, then you have to get the deal done. But to be fair, what we're looking for is efficiency in the market. Like Raul said, we need to outsmart the market. Well, if you identify a young French central defender who in two years time could be a starter for you and he's a bargain at 20 million euro, that's an efficiency in the market when other people are paying 40, 50, 60 million for starting center backs. But once you get into a bidding war and that player costs what a starting center back costs he's no longer an efficiency in the market you're no longer outsmarting the market and so maybe part of being efficient in the market is also understanding that at the point that the prices start to go up and you get into a bidding war you step away from that player because there are other players like him one that you mentioned in the video is posh am i saying that right um posh i I believe so posh (laughs) is is this someone who you like as much or better than saliba and maybe could be a ready-made center back who who could step in and play some for Arsenal's first team? Um, I think he is probably more ready to start now. Uh, I think his ceiling is probably not as high um, as Saliba's. But I think the, the two major advantages are you could start him now, and I don't think he'd have any issues with that. Um, you'd probably want to temper... he's. <laughs> impetuous is maybe an odd word to use but he he's a very progressive proactive defender he likes to push up he likes to get stuck in I think that would benefit the you know a Premier League style but I think again he would he would do well to have an older head you know either um to his left or right to just say well you know maybe not quite so fast um I think the thing also that I like about him is that because he's out of Hoffenheim, he's used to playing in a back three, um, which is obviously helpful um, because, you know, Emery likes to change things up and and having players that, that are comfortable in a back four or a back three is really good. He plays in a back four for um, the Austrian under 21 side. Um, so he's comfortable doing both. That to me indicates a player who's pretty switched on um, and, and can, uh, you know, take in information and take in instructions quickly and easily and process them. Um, he's got a look of, uh, he's like a slightly quicker looking Per Mertesacker actually. Hmm. Physically, he's got that kind of, he's got that presence. He's he's upright. He's always looking around. He seems, he seems like quite a thoughtful player. So, you know, he would cost a fraction of Saliba. Um, Hoffenheimer are the sort of club who are not rolling in money. Um, who also have very good scouting and development systems themselves. So there'll be somebody at Hoffenheim ready to step in there. Um, he's he's not their most important defender, um, but he got a lot of game time. Um, so I, I think he's the sort of person, you know, I agree with everything that you said about market efficiency. 
Um, I absolutely agree. Uh, and, and he, to me, would be somebody who would tick a lot of the same sort of boxes. He's not going to be as good a player overall as Saliba will end up being. I'd be fairly confident of that. But he's going to cost a lot less. He's going to be able to do the job more quickly. Hmm. And and just by saying he's got a lower ceiling is in no way saying that he's not a good player. You know, he is a Premier League standard player, in my opinion. Yeah, you know what I, I think, Alex, for me then the determination would come down to some extent um, you know, to whether, whether we believe we have anyone in the academy or coming through that has a really high ceiling, right? Um, because we desperately need a future star at center back. Um, and so I'd almost be willing to be more patient and go for Saliba if the ceiling is higher because it's just such a desperate need that we've had for so long. Now, if, if you know, the club feels that someone like Mavropanos you know, has a very high ceiling or if they're really in love with holding, you know, hopefully that his development's not stunted by injury, then mm. maybe you could go for someone who's got a slightly lower ceiling and ready to play now. I, I leave that to them. Well, one thing I noticed in the video, by the way, you mentioned Jules Conde um, mm. and as someone you really liked that would have been a really savvy move, but Sevilla um, uh, scooped him up thanks to Manchi. Um you know, it just it it's kind of salt in the wounds a little for Arsenal, who would kind of hope Manchi would come in and be the technical director. That one feels like one that got away for you. Yeah, very much so, and that's that's why I I, I kind of undenied about putting him in because the deal was done maybe two or three days before I submitted the script. Um, we work on a kind of a lead time of about a week, which is why sometimes occasionally deals will happen in between us in between me submitting the script and the video being published, which is frustrating, but you know, that's what happens when you're making videos. But I, I wanted to leave him in partly to kind of make the point of, you know, there are a number of these sorts of players out there. You know, it's, it's not like you need to pin your colors to one mast definitively. And if you don't get that one player, then you're never going to find something similar, but also to stress the importance of having someone like Monchi, who is just really smart at identifying prospects working the market well um i can't remember the fee for kunde but it wasn't enormous um and this is this is somebody who particularly as a ball playing center back i think has has a kind of you know top 10 in the world ceiling like he's really really something um and he'll be at severe for probably two or three years they'll sell him for a significant profit and um he may <laughs> he may end up uh back in the premier league playing for somebody else but um I think it's I think it's sometimes worth pointing out both that that there are a number of players out there exactly like you say you know sometimes you you don't have to just think this is the one guy um uh, and also that that like you say you know that that role of of a technical director sporting director director of football whatever you want to actually call them because football clubs are are very very complicated and opaque around naming but but someone's got to be sat there thinking over the course of the next four or five years, this is how we want to play football, and these are the guys that are going to be able to to play that style. Yeah, uh, and it's and then why go out and get them. Yeah, sorry, I was just going to say it's why I I feel so disappointed that Sven Mislintat left, only because it feels like Mislintat is the kind of guy who had a big database of similar players, and if he didn't find exactly the round peg for the round hole that he was looking for in terms of price and, and qualities, he could find something else. I mean, it's been stated many times in many places that the way he found Torreira was using a similar player's feature to Conte, and I'm not saying that those two are identical players, but it's the idea that 
you know, if you can't get one, there may be another player mm. like him that the data... But this, do you know what? This, this is not something that you have to be a Sven Mislintat building your own database to achieve. Mm. Um, well, that's encouraging. You know, it, it can, yeah, it, it, it can be laborious, but, but if you... So we use, we use Yscout, right. um, which is a, a video and data scouting platform that is used across the industry. Um, and there are other there are other sites that that do it for you but if you if you look for a kind of profile of player then there are certain stats and i i'm by no means i'm an advocate for purely stats based scouting i think you you always have to watch people you always have to appreciate you know things that aren't necessarily measured by stats as well which may be off the ball runs for example but may also be things to like personality um but you can look at uh, you know, even a rough sense of okay. Well, I want somebody who is tackling a certain number of times per ninety. I want somebody who's also making a certain number of progressive passes. I want somebody who's also decent in the air. Doesn't have to be spectacular. Um, and then you can start to whittle a list down from you know thousands and thousands of players into actually quite a manageable number. That's the point at which you then start. Uh, looking at video but you know I, I think I think the idea that there's there's this kind of mystique around scouting like yeah maybe you know maybe 15-20 years ago that there was you know there was the guy who went to the park and saw a kid running around and there was something that kid could do and he thought wow and then that kid turns out to be Paul Gascoigne <laughs> that used to happen I think nowadays being assiduous being able to read the data, being able to then combine that with an appreciation of, of what you see when you actually watch a player means that in some ways it's become easier to find players. Of course, the, the, the corollary to that is that it's, it's easier for everybody else who's doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can think, right, well, I, I want to find the next Torreira and, and you're you know, your efficiencies in the market at that point become the subtlety with which you understand what kind of player Torreira himself is and therefore then how you look to replicate that uh, and the accuracy with which you do that, but also the range that you're prepared to go for that. And obviously English clubs suffer from the fact that, that there are a lot of fantastic players out there that English clubs can't touch because of work permit rules. Mm. Um, so, for example, I'm a huge fan of the J-League, but <laughs> but I can't... There's very few J-League players that you can really look at for, for top English clubs because those players aren't going to meet the points-based system that work permits require because they're not going to be paid enough or they're not going to be played enough or they're not going to be enough international caps there. So... You know, you can you can find good people if you look for them all over the place. Um, it's the way you go about doing that. Um, so I think, you know, yes, that there, there are certainly there are certainly people who are particularly good at it. There are certainly people I think, and this Munchie's skill I think is negotiation as much as anything else. Mm. Um, uh, but also working out why is it that type of player? Why is it that player profile that we're interested in? that that's the key thing once you've nailed that down actually going and finding a variety of players that are fairly similar isn't as hard as the rest of it i don't think yeah and that's why i think us wanting to pay 80 million pounds for someone like well hopefully not pay 80 million pounds for someone like wilfred zaha while he's an interesting and potentially exciting player feels a bit like hey we saw this guy destroy us twice up close so let's go buy him when there's a world of players out there and you know, for a club that needs to be more efficient, 
buying the player right in front of your face for a huge fee feels like a shortcut um, to doing the work that we need to do. So, you know, if we're going to look at some of these other names, I mean, one that you mentioned, I think for more attacking midfield, obviously there's an Aaron Ramsey-shaped hole in the squad, not to mention that player like Mesut Ozil isn't contributing what we might have hoped and what he once did. Joaquin Carrera from Lazio. Um, mm. what, what do you like about him? And is he someone who could maybe ape the Ramsey role a little bit? Um, I, yes. I mean, I think he's probably a little bit less physically dynamic than Ramsey. Um, but then Ramsey, I think, was was kind of quite unusual in that regard, that, that there was a, an athleticism there but when he wasn't injured, obviously, um, which was impressive. I, I think the thing I like about, well, take it back a step. The, the, the key, the two key issues for me around Arsenal and Arsenal, Arsenal's major issue, obviously, is defence and conceding goals. That's very clear. That's why we talked about that. Um from an attacking perspective, Arsenal were tricky to look at because actually in a lot of regards, Arsenal's attack perform really well. Um, and they, you know, the, the, the numbers are in the video, but but essentially it, what it indicates is a team that, that doesn't carry the ball a lot through dribbling, doesn't make a lot of runs with the ball particularly well, but in terms of constructing attacks through passing is actually excellent. And so what therefore to me is lacking is and this is why I think Ramsey shaped hole is is the correct thing and I also think it's why you know Emery took to using two strikers towards the end of the season is it's runs off the ball it's the ability of that you know all of those pretty passes and and clever construction and movement that comes to naught if there isn't somebody making that late run into the box if there isn't somebody who's working space for themselves getting a touch taking a shot and Arsenal weren't producing enough shots and they weren't producing enough runs and and that's running is difficult to measure metrically because obviously um a lot of football stats are they're event based so if a run is really clever but nothing actually occurs as a result of that it's not necessarily going to be recorded anywhere um I think what I like about Carrera is that he is dynamic he is he's effectively almost a shadow striker you know he's in that kind of football manager parlance He's somebody who's going to arrive late in the box. He's somebody whose runs will be tricky to pick up. Uh, he likes to carry the ball. Um, he likes to carry the ball a lot, actually. Um, and and he gets forward and, and becomes an option behind whoever that striker is. And and in Lacazette and Aubameyang, you've got two strikers, whether they play together or, or separately, whose, whose runs and movement are tricky, uh, particularly with Lacazette's additional physicality as well. So... With these guys able to occupy defenders, drag them into different positions and create space for somebody else, what you then need is the guy who benefits from that. Um, and I think Carrera would be that guy. But as the video says, I also think someone like Joe Willock is is primed for that sort of role. Maybe Smith Murrow, maybe Reese Nelson, maybe even Iwobi playing centrally. Um, you know, that's that's an area where actually Arsenal... Arsenal aren't lacking the players, they're lacking the trust in the people they've already got to to bring that stuff to the table. Um, it's it's a fault of the system and selection rather than the available personnel, in my opinion. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I mean, one of the things in the in the video that you talk about, uh, you, you mentioned Alexis Claude-Marie, someone we've talked about 
quite a bit on this podcast, actually. Oh, have you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> we have, quite amazingly. Um, okay. I, I think he came up when we talked to, to Mo, uh, to Mohammed, and, and again when we talked to Ted Knutson. But, um, you know, the, the interesting thing I found from your video is you said probably not an option for Arsenal because he likes to play on the left and Iwobi should have the left wing nailed down. So rather than covering the Claude Maurice stuff again because we've talked about him, I just wanted to really quickly touch on your statement that uh, Awobi should have the left wing nailed down. There's a lot of feeling among Arsenal supporters that Awobi is not a wide player, that he should be playing more of that 10, um, you know, or, or attacking midfield role, that he can carry the ball, but he doesn't have the shot. He doesn't necessarily have the explosiveness of a wide player. Do you see him nailing down the left wing role just because he's sort of the incumbent? Or do you believe that there is a, a proper wide forward in him? I, mm, that's a very good question, and and it's a question where I think to a to a certain degree I'll equivocate. <laughs> um, Fair enough, I do it all the time. <laughs> a, I, yes, I think there probably is a proper wide forward in him. I don't think those criticisms are necessarily wrong. The reason I would put him out on the left is partly because actually I think he's done quite well there. Um, I think I think his movement is is reasonable he's a good passer he he's part of these he's good at constructing stuff <clears throat> and i think if you're looking at if you're looking at who you've already got who is doing a job well then it doesn't make sense necessarily to to move them around when you've got other players that could step into that role if you're moving awobi centrally i don't have a massive issue with that apart from the fact that it leaves a hole on the left-hand side. Now, there's a possible argument to say Reese Nelson could play there, but I would play him on the right-hand side if I was going to play him. Um, Smith-Rowe, definitely central. Willock, central. Uh, Maitland-Niles, right or central, probably deeper ultimately anyway. So I think I think as much as it's about Iwobi being the incumbent and to me definitely showing enough to be given the opportunity to to prove himself in that role. Um, it's also about who might step in if he doesn't do that. Mm. And if he doesn't do that, to me, Arsenal's available options are already best stacked centrally and to the right-hand side. So moving somebody across into an area where you've already got quite a lot of cover from an area where you don't, that just doesn't make sense. Now, if you can pick up Alexis Claude Maurice for peanuts, which you probably could because it's from Lorient, but I say peanuts, I mean, I'm, I'm talking sub 10 million probably. Um, I'd be very interested to hear if Ted actually gave a valuation on that, but um, he probably didn't because he's wily. Um, you know, I, that's fine to me because then you've got an option. You've got somebody who can step in and do that. If you don't have that, then don't jig it around too much because mm. to me that that's not efficient or sensible either. Yeah, I, I guess for, for my hobby horse with Awobi has just been, I don't think you can have a guy who starts at wide forward for you as much as Awobi does for us, who doesn't shoot and doesn't score. Um, you know, and I realize that his XA90 looks pretty good. I still think his delivery in the final third is inconsistent. Um, you know, Arsenal spend a lot of time getting the ball down into the left channel and uh, the left wing, left half space, whatever you want to call it these days, yeah, and crossing the ball and... And that's something that is a big part of Emery's attacking style. But I, I just feel that his end product, both in terms of his delivery to teammates 
and his intention and willingness to shoot and then the quality of the shot is not sufficient when you're going to have, especially if Emery's going to play as few attackers as he does, if he's playing a back three and Iwobi's on the pitch, you just have very, very few players with goal threat in them. Um, I think he scored three goals for the season on roughly about three XG. So I, I just worry that, you know, and, and he doesn't dribble a ton. He doesn't beat men in the final third. So I, I mean, it's, it's definitely debatable. There are a lot of people that love Awobi and love Awobi in that position, but I think it's become in vogue in the Arsenal sort of uh, online community anyway to hypothesize that he could be a good central player. And I think in the AFCON, uh, he did play a little bit more centrally and, and had a good African Cup of Nations. So be curious to see what happens there. Certainly, I don't think you're spending 60, 70, 80 million or even rumored to be uh, on Zaha or linked with Ryan Frazier if you're completely satisfied with what you're getting from Iwobi on the left, but we could talk about that all day. So let's move on to a player who I not only had not heard of, but cannot say his name. So I will give you Victor from Dinamo Kiev as if we are best friends, and you can explain to me who Victor is and what he would do for us. Chai Hankov? I'm so bad at pronunciation. I mean, it's kind of our brand here to pronounce names poorly, so you're fitting in perfectly. Fantastic. I'm very on brand. Joe does the voiceovers for our videos, and and thank goodness. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I, I think the thing I like most about him is that he is... Oh, I mean, this is going to sound very kind of old school, but he he's a he's a sort of player who looks like he wants to try and get stuff done all the time. Um, and, you know, league goal return of 11 is good. He carries the ball well. Um, he assists quite a lot. But it's more that sometimes you watch a player and you just get the sense that... that almost like an arrogance. You know, he, he wants the ball. He wants to be the one who's making things happen. Um which is an incredibly old-fashioned way of looking at it, having kind of introduced this idea of, you know, sensible transfers and, and being analytical and scouting. And that, that you know, that's how I first came across him. But um, I I just, I think he's got some gumption, shall we say. Um, there are caveats, you know, it's not a high league standard particularly. Um, it's very difficult to gauge whether or not anything like that kind of performance could be could be carried across and and I think as well because you know players from from Russia and this particularly say for example why a lot of Russian goalkeepers don't move even though they're very very good is that they do have a high price um and there's quite a lot of money floating around in the Russian league system in the Ukrainian league system they're quite happy to pay their players a lot so that they don't move um but at the same time, there's there's a kind of a swagger to the way he plays, which makes me think he probably could cut it at a higher level. Um, but yeah, you know, sometimes we like to throw in a slightly more outside choice, uh, and I'd say that would that was him in this instance. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I mean, uh, I think another one that you were really high on was Skov. Is that am I saying that one right? Do do you know? Yes, I think that is. I think that is Skov. Yes. Skov. Okay. I mean, there's four letters in it, and I'm struggling, but I think it is Robert Skov. He is. He is a Danish footballer, and uh, that is the extent of my knowledge about him. How excited <laughs> should I be about this player who uh, probably will never play for Arsenal, but who you deem to be a sensible transfer? Yeah. So um, he's actually better than we said he was because for some reason it said in the script that he'd scored twenty goals, where he's actually scored twenty nine league goals. Oh my goodness! Um, I don't know how that error got across, but you know he's even better than we said. Um, now I really want it. 
he's what I like about him. So he he kind of starts out on the right hand side, um, and and then just makes a beeline for the goal. And sometimes that is that kind of Ryan Sessegnon movement of of starting very wide and ending up right in the six yard box to to finish something off. He can also shoot from distance. He can shoot with his left foot, his right foot. He will finish off moves um, that have been constructed by others. He'll take the ball on the break, dribble it past two or three players and finish himself. He he. If you watch his the goals he scores for it, like he, there's every type of goal in there. Um, and I think that's really exciting because I think, you know, you can have, for example, you know, players with, with similar sorts of XG, for example, they're going to achieve those in different ways. And, and that's the point at which you then start looking at those players in terms of video clips and saying, okay, well, does this guy basically score one type of goal? You know, is is he always running off the shoulder in behind onto a through ball and slotting it home? Well, that's great. That's a real skill, but it relies on a certain style of defending and it relies on having an attacking midfielder who's able to prepare that kind of pass with someone like Skov, what you can see from watching him play is that there isn't a limit to the type of goal that he scores. So he can take individual responsibility and make things happen, or he can finish off team moves, which shows movement. It shows understanding of what his teammates are doing. It shows a you know positional awareness. And I think to me, that's why he's such an exciting player. Um, he's strong, he's fast, he's got all of those things that one would expect, but he is a natural goal scorer. And and he will make that happen from wherever he is and, and in whatever way is required to put the ball in. So I think if you if you're looking at somebody who's got a very, very high ceiling, particularly as as a goal scoring right winger who cuts inside, um twenty nine league goals in, in the Danish top league is I mean, that could be fantastic, it could not be that great. It depends on the, the relative quality of the league, right? And and who he's playing against. But this is why you watch people. It's why you don't simply go off the numbers and 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 kind of go, oh well, he's you know he's scored a ton of goals, therefore he must be great. It's the way that he's done that and the way he's gone about it and the variety of goals that he can score that I think makes him very very exciting. And if if an Arsenal team is looking for, like I say, an, an injection of dynamism, an injection of of you know somebody who can do the unexpected, who can who can shoot from nowhere and score or who can dribble past three or four players and, and you know, lofted over the keeper, but is also there for the tap-ins and is also there to contest headers and stuff. This is your guy. I mean, where do, when do we sign him? What the <laughs> hell are we waiting for? Um, I mean, when I, you know, one thing that's tough, Alex, is sometimes when I listen to you talk about these players, and I had this feeling too when I listened to Mohamed, you know, you're talking about players that are 10 million, 8 million, 12 million euros, players that aren't on the radar of the big clubs and and you talk about them and you list the stats and it just makes me wonder why they aren't more expensive, why they aren't on the radar. I mean, when you talk about these players, are you sort of talking, grading on a curve, so to speak, you know, talking about them within the band of, of age and cost that they are, or are these really sort of efficiencies in the market that the big clubs just aren't zeroing in on? I mean that that question is the absolute fundamental question that surrounds all this kind of stuff. Um, and you know, I think I think what you've said is extremely insightful. There, it's it's hard to know what the big clubs are doing. It's you know, we we get a very kind of filtered um, 
spun series of rumours that come through um, from people and you know Skov apparently has been linked to Spurs and has been linked to Wolves I have no idea if that's true or not you know I don't it's it's inconceivable to me that the scouting departments of big teams in Europe are not aware of Robert Skov it's not like I've discovered somebody who nobody else has heard of that's clearly untrue I think there are. A I, I guarantee you that Stan Kroenke has not heard of Robert Scoff. Sure, that? but 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 I, but I tell you what. It, in my opinion, it's not Stan Kroenke's job to of, know of who's course, playing. I, I kid, so, I kid. Um, but you know that, that, that definitely he'll be known about. I, I think. I think the, the the fundamental point or the the crux of what you're asking is is sort of several fold. Yes, I think the age of those players is important. Um, I think that there is definitely a sense particularly when you're in certain leagues you see a willingness to take a chance on younger players and spend decent money on younger players I think in the Premier League that's often less the case um, because of a kind of a I, I don't think they take things as sensibly as they do in Germany for example I think Germany possibly because the sporting director has been a role in Germany for longer. You know, they, they do have a greater degree of a sense of building for something long-lasting. That's not to say they won't sack managers for silly reasons, because they do that in Germany as well. But I think the club isn't just the manager in Germany. I think that's been the case for a while, and that's that's why they're prepared to take a punt on younger people for, for reasonable money. Um, I think... Obviously, there's always the worry that players don't develop the way they appear they might develop. That can be a host of different reasons. That can be because they get injured. It can be because they have other issues going on off the pitch. It could be because they work for a manager who doesn't rate them or where they don't fit into that system and they have a stale year or two. And that that hinders their progress to such an extent that they don't reach their ceiling. Um, There are some players out there, I'm sure who are extraordinarily talented and just never got a break, you know, that a transfer fell through for one reason or another. And, you know, transfers are murky. There's <laughs> there's stuff, if you're even even very, very faintly on the fringes of, of football in the way that I am, and I don't pretend for a second to be kind of in the know or have connections with clubs or anything. But, you know, I, I know people who are involved to a degree in scouting, to a degree in coaching, and you you hear stuff about what happens and it's it's not all as cut and dried as somewhere sitting you know someone sitting there with a spreadsheet checking on a list of really great players going and looking at them thinking two or three of those will fit and and we'll sign them you know there's a lot else that goes on there a lot of other concerns commercial concerns concerns that may not be quite as legitimate um, mm. and you know agents and and so on um there's loads of reasons why transfers don't happen i mean with robert scoff for example people have said that his manager, his national team manager of Denmark, doesn't want him to leave Denmark for one more season and will try to persuade him not to do that. And so there is a potential issue there which might put people off. Um, I, I suppose what it all comes down to is I don't know as somebody who does what I do, um, which you know ultimately is about kind of entertainment and, and education, not, not working in professional football. Um, that the, I don't know how these clubs operate properly i I don't know whether they are really really smart and doing loads of things that don't come off whether there's a load of really smart people who are thwarted by an idiot at the top or whether they genuinely don't seem to have a clue you can look at someone like manchester united and say 
there just is a lack of leadership and structure at that club. That's obvious because you can see it with the way they conduct their transfer business. You know, I, I, w- I would just disagree to one extent. I, I would say not that there's a lack of it, just that there's a lack of intelligence to it, right? So well, yeah, Edward Wood yes. is definitely the leadership. He's just not real good at it. Well, no, I'm, but, but he's, I mean, he's very good at something. He's very good at, at commercial, commercial deals. deals. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, of course, and, yeah. And he is excellent at that. And that that's what he should be doing. He shouldn't be doing the other stuff. But if you're, you know, if your first choice right back is Aaron Wan-Bissaka and your second choice right back is Max Aaron's, you clearly don't understand that just because a player plays in a position, they all played the same way, you know, because those are two utterly, utterly different players. And if you're looking to recruit one or two of those players, um, or one of the those two players, then then you're not going to ask them to do the same thing because they're different players. Yeah, you can't and play it, the same way with both of those players. So you have to play differently if you're starting a different one. Yeah, it absolutely. doesn't make any sense. So so it makes no sense to me at all. Um, you know, there, there are other clubs that you can point to, in my opinion, the two clearest examples in the Premier League, or, or now in the Premier League, are, are Norwich and Liverpool. Um who have a very, very clear idea of what they're doing. Um, and, you know, Liverpool came through a few teething problems, a.k.a. Andy Carroll. But, um, you know, since then, by and large, their transfer business has been spot on. Norwich operating in a very, very different kind of marketplace in terms of who they're looking at. But again, they don't seem to make many mistakes. Um so there are clubs out there where you can infer from what happens that they're very smart. You can infer from who's there, the way they talk about themselves, the way they talk about their approach to football, um, that there are smart ones. You can also infer from you know, how, how teams conduct themselves that they're not. And I think Arsenal... Yeah, Arsenal's window last season to me, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, was, was kind of a curate's egg. Like There were a couple of deals there that, that to me were very, very encouraging. And there were a couple of deals that made little to no sense. And, and I think Arsenal at this point in time could could really go one of two ways. Um, yes, with Edu coming in, maybe that'll be the catalyst. And there's behind the scenes stuff going on with the promotion of coaches and so on that, that could herald a new dawn. Um, but it's no guarantee of that. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I think we would we would take even some hope. You know, the, the reason I was so dis- disheartened with Sven leaving is when you look at Torreira and Ganduzi and Leno, who all seemed like intelligent signings in the right age bracket at the right price uh, for the kind of quality and ceiling that we need. Those all seemed to be Sven Mislintat-driven decisions. Um, he leaves and we wind up loaning a broken Dennis Suarez in January. And then, yeah. you know, I mean, you, you just you sink, you sink in your mm-hmm. chair and say, is this what it's going to be about going forward? If you'll give me five more minutes of your time, though, I want to put you on the spot about two other things just super quickly. Um, Awesome. So just really quickly, it seems unfathomable to me at this point, um, so unfathomable that I can't say the word, uh, that we will not wind up signing Kieran Tierney. I think it's going to happen. So given that I think it's going to happen, do you want to pour cold water on our expectations or do you think that that's a move? I mean, clearly we need a left back. Do you think that's the right move for Arsenal? Um. I don't think it's the worst move for Arsenal. Oh, um, here, think... here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Look, hey, I'm relentlessly positive. Um, yeah, not me. <laughs> because we'll, we'll have Nathan Redmond attacking down that flank. So, um, yeah, uh, I, look, I, he's he's definitely a good player. He's a good player offensively. Um, I, I think 
I think defensively, I, I mean, look, I, I, don't, I don't watch a huge amount of Celtic where I have watched some of their stuff as, uh, you know, early stages of the European competition before they got knocked out. And he, he didn't look fantastic defensively. He's also playing in a league where they're so definitively better than everyone else that he's not going to get tested in that regard all that much anyway. Um, so do you so, see him as a clear upgrade on Kolasinac then? Because to me, that would be the exact description or criticism leveled at Kolasinac. Well, to my mind, that's that's one of the reasons why you were playing three at the back was because you've got somebody who who in that position is is really nice pushing forwards and attacking and, and building those those moves, you know, those little triangles of passing that, that Emery likes on the flanks. But you need to have somebody to cover across and, you know, particularly Nacho Monreal as a, a former left back who's now playing as a left sided centre back, you have that cover. So it, it seemed like a fairly elegant solution to that problem. Um I my issue with Kin and Tierney is fifty million pounds. I just don't see that um being good value. Um, when there are players that could... Yeah, I was looking at a guy from... Where is he from? Reem. I almost certainly said that wrong as well, called Ghislaine Conan, uh, who's just come back from was a just going to say that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't know. Um, but, you know, he he would be an absolute... Like, he'd be a, a fraction of that cost. And, and to my mind, potentially as good a player... Um, maybe not quite as good. Get on but... the blower to Adu, for God's sakes, man! Why are you talking well, to me? <laughs> well, yeah, but the, and this is the thing: these guys are out there. You do, you know. But to my to my mind, something like the Tierney deal is sort of it, it's a little bit Manchester United, and I and I say that with all the love and respect for Arsenal, but it's a little bit like saying who's the best young British left back that we can get our hands on because Andy Robertson's never going to leave Liverpool. Um, well, that Scottish guy for Celtic, he's decent. Well, let's chuck some money at him. It, it, it doesn't, to me, necessarily smack of saying what what's the level of balance we need. Are we play, you know, The first question is, are we going to play a back four or a back three? Straight away, that, that determines the profile of the player you're looking for. Can, can he be play- a left back and a back four? Because that's where we need to go. Well, I I, I would agree with you. Um, yeah, sure, he can. But is is he going to is he going to be as good as if he were a left wing back? Probably not. Is he going to have to learn quite quickly? Yes. Is it going to put a degree of stress on whoever plays to his right? Yes. Is it going to cause probably Guendouzi plays on the left side of that pivot to kind of be spending a lot of time scuttling over and covering in the early stages of the season. Yes. Does that limit his offensive capabilities? Yes. Jesus, Alex, you're killing me. (laughs) Sorry. sorry. I don't want him at all Um, anymore. No, no, look, I mean, don't get me wrong. My my point is not, I, I would never say that, I would never say that anybody who has reached the level of professional football, particularly a top flight, anywhere in Europe is a bad player because that's just stupid. He's have you, have you met Shodran Mustafi? Have you watched any video on that guy? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's a wonderful statistical anomaly because he always shows up really well in the stats. The counting you watch stats, him and yeah. you're like, mm-hmm. dude, no. Um, but look, he's, um, Tierney, I think can definitely develop into a really, really good player. Um, is he what Arsenal need right now for that money? Probably not. 
Great. Uh, okay, so then let's finish with hopefully something that'll be upbeat, and that is just uh, Matteo Ganduzzi. As someone who looks at these younger players, these prospects with hopefully high ceilings, I mean, I am a big Ganduzzi fan. Not everybody yeah. is as sold as I am on him, but I think you know Arsenal fans are kind of hoping that the sky is the limit for this player. As an outside observer, do you believe that the sky is the limit, or is he as shit as Kieran Tierney? <laughs> you're being so harsh on Tierney uh, I was no not harsh. me you're the one who um, said all this stuff before I'm just, I'm I, just panicking about it <laughs> no don't 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 panic it'll all be fine Great. Um, no I really like him um, I it's interesting because I I liked him a lot anyway uh, and then I read uh, and I'm pretty sure it was a stats bomb article and I can't remember for the life of me who wrote it which is terrible but given that you've already name checked Ted and, and Mo. Um, you know, your listeners, I'm sure, will be familiar with Statsbomb and, and their blog, which has some really, really excellent writing on it. Might have been um, Ewan or Mo, one of them, yeah. Yeah, um, and, and they highlighted one or two aspects to, to Gwendouzi's awareness and passing, which had actually escaped me at that point. So, um, sky's the limit, very difficult to say, but I emphatically I would say that your starting double pivot should be him and Torreira and you should just basically leave them alone for as long as you can, you know, fitness and, and so on permitting, because I, I think the two of them could really develop into a, a complementary pair. And that, that for me, that's the key is that I think there's a balance between those two in terms of what they offer that I, I was a huge Torreira fan when he was at Samp, um, because we did a, we did a Sampdoria tactics video, um, and and he immediately stuck out as as a really really classy player. Um, and when he went to Arsenal, I thought, you know, you finally bought exactly the kind of guy that you've been needing for ages. Uh, and to then put him in harness with someone like Guendouzi, who just has that awareness, that eye for a pass, that ability to progress the ball, to carry the ball a bit. Not as good defensively, but that doesn't matter because you're you're developing a partnership. And I think when you look at midfield, you always have to think that way. You always have to think of of a unit rather than an individual player. Um, and so I, yes, I would emphatically say let those two be your starting pair and and trust them with it. Okay, well, let's hope Unai is listening. <laughs> Unai and Edu, hopefully. Well, yeah, I don't, you know, maybe they're going for fan engagement here. Unai, Edu, if you're listening, you know what to do. Do the right thing, please. Um, Alex, this has been absolutely brilliant. Went on a lot longer than I expected, so I want to thank you for your generosity it's with your time. my pleasure. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully haven't put you off doing it again in the future. No, no, absolutely not. All right, well, uh, if you want to follow Alex's work on Twitter as opposed to his personal account, which he... Uh, says is just madmen memes and, and gifts, which certainly we love those. But if you want to follow the football stuff, it's at TIFO football underscore, correct? Yes, that's us. Yes. And keep an eye out for all their great videos on YouTube, which are, as I have just said, great. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. At Yankee Gunner gives five star review, write nasty things about us in the comments. Uh, this was a bonus. So everybody likes bonuses. Hey, free content. We're going to do more free content though. We're going to do an actual post-match podcast after the Bayern game. Uh, and we're going to talk. We care to you. We're going to talk transfers again because who can ever get enough of that we will talk about the game itself uh and what will assuredly be a wonderful result for arsenal that gives us all the hope in the world for the upcoming season until then hope you're doing well and we'll talk to you after arsenal 10 Bayern munich nil everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why 
what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.